Welcome to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. It's time to make mental health a normal conversation with your host, Shane Kelton. Welcome to Power, Strength and Vulnerability. I'm your host, Shane Kelton, and today I'm also a guest um, and I will introduce you to host slash guest for today, my beautiful fiance, um, Alicia Mortley. Welcome. Thank you, Shane. She goes really. Welcome weird. to you. What's that? Welcome to you to Thank my you. podcast. Oh, taking over the podcast. So, um, if you're listening to this, it's probably we haven't means we probably haven't broken up. But if this ever goes to air, then it could be over by the end of this podcast. But um, we're going to talk about. I guess the month I spent in mental health clinic today, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And, we uh, are. I'm going to ask you some questions first and then you're going to ask me some questions and I guess talk about what's happened prior to uh, post that experience because we spoke about the night before I went in and shared how angry I was and how we fought, fought so often and I think we are both pretty honest about the fact that if things didn't improve, we would be over. Yeah, yep. I was definitely headed down that direction, that's for sure. Yeah, and we're both, we're both very honest about that and willing to sort of go, that's it. It's, it has to be the right thing for both of us mentally and um, it is what it is. So I went into the clinic to obviously help myself but help us as a, as a couple and a relationship and if, you know, we, we didn't walk out of it as a couple, we were both prepared, I think, as much as we could be um, but we are still together, so... <laughs> Um, I haven't I haven't kicked him out yet. I was going to say, if we're recording the podcast <laughs> and we are together, we'll, that would be quite extraordinary, I think. <laughs> so I guess I'll ask you a question first. What was it like for you when I checked myself in? What was that day like? You dropped me off. Oh, um, so that day, um, I actually want to mention what happened kind of maybe. The, it was like the day before for well, me. You are running the podcast, I guess. So. Um. <laughs> I think it was like the day before. Um, I knew I was dropping Shane off at the mental health um, host, the, the clinic. Um, I suppose it was like around eleven o'clock or something. So yeah. I knew I needed to do something that afternoon to get uh, keep myself occupied because I knew I wouldn't be in a great way. Um, so I actually had already organised um, a catch up with a girlfriend um, to do a training session. Um, and I'm so glad I did that because I remember once I dropped you off the hospital, we, you know, you checked yourself in and, um, you know, the nurse came around, et cetera, and then we said our goodbyes. Um, I walked out of there just bawling my eyes out. Um, because the reason why I bawled my eyes out was just the unknown of what was going to be happening. So it wasn't because you couldn't live without me. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, <laughs> just a small bit. Um, yeah, it was just the complete unknown, and I not that I've got control over the relationship or anything, but there was it was everything was out of my control. Um, and yeah, I just had no idea what was the next month going to be like, let alone what the next few days was going to be like or anything. So. I got in the car and I was just a blubbering mess and I knew I had to try and get myself together or else I couldn't drive properly. Um, and I had messaged my girlfriend that I was catching up with just to let her know the state I was in. Is that Lisa? Yeah. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> so shout out to little Lisa Arnie. Um, 
And, yeah, I just let her know what state I would be in. But she was completely um, understandable of what I would be like. And she's like, that's okay, just come and we'll just see whether or not you, you know, you want to train. Um, so I caught up, got to her and, yeah, as soon as I got to her, I just cried again and just kept crying. Um, but, you know, I remember her saying to me that this is the best thing for you guys and for him and, you know, um, it's you, ne- you guys need to take this step forward. Um, and I think just a few, like, reiterating comments that she made, she kind of just got me back together again. Um, and, we, yeah, we went and trained and I put Shane out of my mind for a bit um, and just focused on a training session with Lisa, just catching up with a girlfriend. Um, so, yeah, that first day was up and down. It was a roller coaster. Um, and then that night was just, that wasn't, first night was not great. <laughs> but <laughs> the animals came on the bed. Um, they were they were on the bed most nights. <laughs> yeah, which you're not big on. You're not big on animals being in the bedroom. Um, which I am for, for anxiety reasons and all of that. But, yeah, I remember getting photos. The the dogs, two dogs and a cat were on the bed together keeping company. So, I mean, we, we've obviously spoken about this, but for the people listening, like, what was the next four weeks like for you? I don't know you'll get to your questions, but I, I guess I want to know what it was like for you because I do know already we've spoken <laughs> about it. We yep. haven't waited six months to talk about it, but... <laughs> Um, I think the listeners might be surprised. Um, yeah, okay. So, oh, it was such an up and down month. Now, when Shane checked himself into the hospital, it was towards the end of November. Now, for anyone's calendar around that period of time, you're super busy regardless of what you're doing. And my weeks, my days were just like chock a block. So, during the daytime, I actually didn't have time to miss Shane. Like I did, but I was so busy with either, you know, wrapping up um, the business or getting the Christmas party sorted or um, catching up with girlfriends because, you know, you wanted to do those Christmas breakups, um, that there just wasn't, yeah, the time to miss him. Um, so the days got really easy because I was distracted with doing things. And was that was it also easier because there wasn't this, I guess, sulky little miserable angry mess? Yeah, I was also yeah going to mention that um, prior to Shane going into hospital, um, coming into the household was literally going to be walking into the unknown. The unknown, like, am I? I'm I'm walking on eggshells um, because I didn't know what mood he was going to be in, and I didn't, you know my mood would completely change depending on how he would be. So that completely went out the window because I would come into the house and, well, Shane wouldn't be there. So I could come to the house a little bit stress-free in a sense um, and just relax more. Um, so I suppose, yeah, that was a whole lot easier during the daytime because, yeah, I didn't have to not deal with him but, you know, face um, his moods at that point in time. Um, so that was a whole lot easier as the days got on because, you know, I was just myself and didn't have to worry about Shane. Um, You know, we did keep in contact with each other, um, but I tried to also, you know, not contact him and just wait for him to contact me um, because I didn't want to obviously bombard him. I knew he was trying to stay away from his phone as much as he was, but he was in there for a purpose. Um, If I kept messaging him, that was going to defeat the purpose of what he was trying to do. 
So yeah, the daytimes, as I said, yeah, got a whole lot easier. Um, the night times, yeah, they were hard because, you know, we weren't, we didn't have those times together at, you know, when he'd be in bed with me, even though sometimes prior to him going to the hospital, he would sleep on the couch. Um, but still his presence I missed, um, around the house. Um, but that kind of was a little easier because we did have housemates, um, and they kind of kept me company. So even though I did miss having Shane, you know, as far as cuddle in the bed or just to talk to, I did have our housemates, which was nice, and, you know, watch TV with them. Um, so, yeah, the night times definitely got easier as well because, you know, yeah, I just rested. I was just tired and I just mm. went to sleep in, in a sense. So, Cool. Question for me. <laughs> question for you. Um, we've kind of already said this on the previous podcast, but I suppose I just want you to remind the listeners of were you scared when you were entering the hospital and why? Yeah, I was definitely, there's so much fear around it and probably at the time didn't realise why I was so scared or why I was so fearful. I guess you, in a way you, you watch movies and you see people walking around in straight jackets and um, zombies and stuff like that, but, you know, little as, as soon as walking in there on the first day, you realise it's not like that. So the, that fear evaporates very, very quickly. But it was the fear was why I see now why was I being like why was I acting like I was acting? What was I so scared of within myself? And so I've since learnt, you know, there's little traumas as a kid that I had, which you know lead to way I live my life and values and my beliefs and. The good and the bad comes from, oh, I won't use those words, the helpful and the unhelpful life I was living last year, you know, was due to a lot of the stuff that happened when I was younger. Um, so I think I was really scared of facing some of that stuff. And not not, not exactly knowing what it is as well is extremely difficult. And speaking to the people in the hospital, you can see exactly why they're like that when they tell you their story of childhood or whatever and, I still can't say it. You're like, you're actually explaining it to me, but you still can't say it. So that was that was something that I think scared me, but I didn't know why. There was what's actually inside, like this fear that because you're, I guess, so traumatized by things that happen every day and you get triggered by them, you think something really bad must have happened. Like I, I always had the thought that, you know, maybe I got raped as a kid and I don't remember. Maybe I was abused. Maybe I was all this when... And what I've since learned is it wasn't any of those things, but trauma has a way of making you feel a certain way. And any time that that's triggered throughout the rest of your life, you know, you go back to that three-year-old kid and have those emotions. Now, I also learned that triggers aren't necessarily going to be there for the whole life. You actually have to just manage to work through them and deal with them and understand them and respect them and all of that. So, yeah, that, I guess that, that was what I was scared of. And, you know, still, like, don't get me wrong, I'm still scared of what could be under there and because uh, you don't just deal with everything in a six-month period. There's, there's always layers and you're peeling back layers and layers and layers. So it's still scary what what I might what might still bob up in my memory bank and what I might have to work through next. Mm-hmm. Um, well, going on from that, one of my questions was going to be what with some things that you did in the hospital to help you get through? So... You mentioned one already about doing this trauma therapy. Can you tell us a bit about what the trauma therapy is? Yeah, so one of the things I signed up to do before I went into hospital was the root cause therapy 
um, at the Centre for Healing with Ryan. So we, I sat down with him. I think the day I decided to go into the hospital, so the day I decided to, yeah. to put all of that into plan and action, I guess, and I said to him, you know, I'd, I'd be doing that. And I remember he still said to me, and if you want to listen to the podcast with Ryan, it's my, it's the recent podcast that I did. So go back and listen to it. Um, you'll learn more about the modality. And it just we, so we sat down and I just understood and it just made me feel so calm that, you know, the things that might have happened that might be so small now, like and the perfect example is a th- imagine a three-year-old getting lost in the shops. Like they're going to think that they're never going to see their parents again. Mm. So that feeling a kid has of, of hurt of, a, oh, no, it's my fault that they've, run, they've, they've gone away. I've lost them forever. They're never going to find them again. All of a sudden throughout their life, when someone leaves their life, they're going to feel that same trauma if they haven't been able to comprehend it or deal with it well. Now, a three-year-old doesn't have the ability to process things like we do as adults. Yeah. So a, tra- a trauma can be as small as that. Like it doesn't have to necessarily be death or rape or anything like that. Everyone's trauma is different. Some people I've, I've met have had absolutely horrific traumas and I look at it and I'm like, wow, like your strength and resilience. And they look at me and they're like, no, let's not compare what I've been through to what you've been through. Like each trauma is a trauma. That's, there's no worse or not worse. Every trauma is a trauma that we've got to manage and, and work with. And I'm reading a book at the moment, um, Dazzy Thornton, in um, uh, she's in New Zealand. Uh, she has Voices of Hope. She's got a really good book. It's based on her story. Um, we're just looking up what her book's called now. It's called Stop Surviving, Start Fighting. And I started reading her book and about halfway through, and it's just amazing, like the trauma that she's gone through that she buried and i guess alicia started reading it but we'll read more of it but the way we we react as we go up through teenage years was very similar yet our trauma is completely different on a scale of if you wanted to put it on a scale it's completely different um but our reactions as we go older are very very similar like i read her book and i'm like i could write a chapter about exactly (laughs) this like word for word I, i could say this and so it's what I learned is like we can't compare, and I did that. I did that to myself in terms of I said I would say to myself, "Your trauma is not as bad as someone else's." So that instinctively made me not work through it. So doing that root cause therapy, that was an external therapy. So I had to leave the hospital. I had to get. I was allowed leave for that specifically, and then eventually at, at this, the hospital allowed me um, leave without. It being therapy, so I was allowed to go out for a couple of hours a day to, to go for a walk or shops or, or whatever need be. But you only allowed that for like you had to have appointments with your psychiatrist and stuff to make sure you could go out. But the therapy was I was allowed to leave, but someone had to come in and then drop me back off. So but it was just unbelievable, like doing that therapy, like what, four sessions. And I reckon that that probably almost played more of a role than the, the month's day in the hospital. So, yeah. Um, alongside with the root cause therapy, what were some other things that you did in the hospital that has helped you? It's so much. <laughs> it's a, like it's 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 hard to probably record and like that's why I'm trying to write one blog every sort of month on what I learn in hospital because there was a ridiculous amount. But I guess I'll talk about my attitude going in. My attitude was try everything. Mm-hmm. Don't 
and and do it multiple times. Don't just give up after one time because it's hard. My motto, like my obviously my business is power, strength, vulnerability. That's my podcast. So I had to go in there and be vulnerable. Like I put everything on the table, and also I remember. So you did. You had it. You could get individual uh, psychologist sessions. You could get. And yet, then your psychiatrist sessions were individual, but there was group therapy every day. So there would be, so basically, my day was eight thirty physical therapy, so group training, physical training, or a run. Um, so that was my first goal was to do that every do something physically every thirty minutes every day while I was in there. And I think I only missed one day. I think I got twenty seven out of twenty eight. Um, and then it was group therapy session lunch group therapy session afternoon tea group therapy session or boxing or whatever up until about five o'clock so for me it was doing something like that every day it was just it was a real routine based um environment so i'd I'd do my training session then after that i'd have a shower um and i'd go to the group therapy session and i made sure that i opened up and i did get a little bit sidetracked there but i remember one of the first sessions i did and I was so scared to share this. But in the last couple of years, I started judging people on the way they look. And I, I hated it. And I remember I opened up and I said to the psychologist, um, you know, I look at people and I'm like, you know, I, I paint them as a certain picture. And I was judging a book by its cover. And um, I actually would be interested to go through my notes because I wrote notes in every single session and wrote a journal every day as well. So that's two things that I, I made sure I did um, because I knew I'd come out of it and I can't remember everything that's in there now, but I can go back and look back at all those classes and I'll do that after this about this this story. But I remember the psychologist said, that's not your issue, let's dig deeper. We basically, we, in a group of 10, he spent 40 minutes on drilling down <laughs> at me and I was like about 20 minutes in, you kind of get to a point where you don't want them to – even look at you anymore and he he was so he was the best psychologist i've ever spoken to or had um he's so down the line so straight and and people walked out of his sessions daily um because he was blunt and uh, he was effective and there's 20 minutes in and i was like and he said to me you don't want this attention anymore do you <laughs> and i'm like no leave me alone and he's like, I bet, yeah, there's more people in the room getting help from this than you think. And they basically, five of them, and a couple of them are the people I was worried that they'd be like, oh, he's an asshole. Mm-hmm. And I, because that, like, they had a bit of extra weight on them or whatever. And I was so scared that they thought I was judging them when that wasn't me. And they were like, nah. And I had multiple people after that session who I was scared that they would think it was about them come up and say, thank you. Like, and I was like, I'm getting emotional about it now because it was so crazy that they just understood. They just, I didn't, they realized that I guess it was coming from within. It was, mm-hmm. it was my own insecurities that I was pushing on to everyone else. And, um, that was probably one of the hardest sessions in there. Um, cause it's, cause he didn't, he didn't let up until I got to the bottom of, uh, and basically until I got to the root cause of what was making me think those things or whatever. So, he was, uh, yeah, he was a brilliant psychologist. He, I guess why I'm on the topic of that before you go into the next question is he taught me so much and I went to his sessions almost religiously because of him. I, I just, I used them as learning experiences for my own knowledge, not just benefit my internal belief system and the sort of 
not fix that up, but sort of help me understand a little bit more is you always use the word, always be open and curious to everything because there's always, you know, something on the other side of it. Like no matter what someone's going through, be curious about it because it will help you understand it. And I met some people in there that done some horrible things, the people, um, but stepping back and going, why did they do that? You know, you start to understand it and not judge them. I think that's so important. He didn't judge anyone. And people may have thought he was judging because he was he would ask you hard questions, but he just wanted you to get to the answer answers and resolve what was what was causing so much trauma and hurt. Um, and he always said, and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, especially with COVID, is every positive has a negative, every negative has a positive. Everything in the world. You can't find anything that doesn't have something on the other side of it. Like I don't know, name me something random. <laughs> that po- name a positive or a negative that's just completely random. All right, a positive um, going out for a walk, um, and a negative um, can hit by a car. That's pretty uh, brutal. <laughs> um, getting hit by let's say oh, the negative getting hit by a car. Like obviously that's not great, but you're going to be a lot more resilient. You're going to build a lot of strength. You're going to build a lot of whatever. So. Once you go into hospital, you know, you're going to have support and you're going to learn a lot about yourself. So, like, it's a very, very, very crazy one. But, <laughs> but like, the the best one is, you know, like the basic ones are you go into a psychologist, you hand him $200. That's a negative. Giving someone money, that's money you had to work for, but you're going to come out of the session better mentally. Mm-hmm. Phys- physical training, I mean, personal, both personal trainers by trade, you go into a session for 30 minutes and you're going to hurt. You're going to sweat. But when you walk out, you're going to feel better. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a positive and negative to everything. And I love people to send in. If they want to send in some positives or negatives, I'll find the opposite for them <laughs> because I actually I think it's a really good challenge mm-hmm. to actually see the other side of it because there always is there. And that's why if someone's a really negative person, you'll be able to find positives for them, but they'll find the other negative. And that, so it's very hard to – but you've got to be understand that. It always is it's money equals time you know like the positive for a drug addict is that they feel better but they're they're spending money mm-hmm. they're costing themselves but there's a there's a benefit they feel fucking amazing mm-hmm. they forget about their trauma they forget about their pain and the band-aid over it yeah but it's still positive yeah it is so it's, it's getting them through yeah. so yeah, it's helping every negative has a positive it like even you think about Tatsoto, like win a million dollars. That puts stress on people. Mm-hmm. Like there, there is negatives to it. They might be smaller on that scale, but if you win a million dollars, oh, shit, now you've got all these people, random people coming up, being your best friends. That's a stress. You and you meet a lot of people that get a lot of money and then they've all of a sudden people knocking on their door that they didn't know and seen in five years asking for a little handout. Like that's a negative. Mm, yep. Bringing the wrong person. So with every positive, there's a negative and – the scales might be tilted a certain way, but that's what he taught me, you know, and to be curious and understanding rather than judgmental. So, mm-hmm. um, There's an activity you haven't mentioned that I was surprised one day, um, Shane, I think he either called me or he sent me a picture of an activity that he did and it was something that I was surprised because I never thought this about Shane. Um, do you know the activity I'm talking about? Art. Yeah. So do you want to tell us a little about art and how that actually helped you? Yeah, so art, it's it's, absolute, it's bonkers. <laughs> so one of the other things I learned in hospital is that we need to, we need to, I guess, 
respect our inner child a lot. We need to give our inner child love and time. And it wasn't just art, but it was games, trivia, socializing, connecting, all of those things we at a basic level that we do as kids. Um, so, yeah, art, I think it was the first week I walked in on a Sunday. There was art every day, but I always went to the group therapy. Then Sundays there wasn't um, much group therapy. So going to the art, I think I walked in, I was like, well, what the fuck am I doing in here? I was like saying to myself, no, you said you'd give everything a go. I was so scared. I looked around the room and there's like these amazing pictures and some amazing sculptures and these people who were amazing, but, you know, they're in a mental health ward, so there's this prejudgment. They were so talented with what they were doing. Now, you've seen my pictures. They are fucking horrible. <laughs> they, But like I went in and the, the teacher, therapist said, like, I think you could pick up that, it, you know, it was nervous. It was the first time in there. I haven't drawn since I was five or six, since primary school, basically. And even then, I was didn't want to be doing art because I didn't want to be picked on by the cool kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so, kind of didn't really do it in class. I remember the art room in primary school, and I couldn't remember not doing art. And yes, yeah, I went went and sat down, and I got the basic oil pastels and basic paper because you know you didn't want to didn't want to ruin anything in there. Uh, and I said, I said, I don't know what to do, and he just said, just draw. And just drew. And the first picture I drew, which I might even show up, it might be in the uh I might put that as a picture in the in the link. Um or find a way to to get that on there so you can see it. But it was a picture of I started drawing night dark night sky. Um it was tr- the grass was had really long, it was lots of roots, there was um branches, like dead branches. It was really dark. And but I left like a third of the page off, and that was really strange. And I sort of looked at it and went, "That's where I am at the moment." Like it was really dark and and dirty and dead. And that was that was who I was as a person at that time. And then on the other part, I did a sun and I did some blue sky and nice grass. And the tree was blossoming on that side, and there was a bird which was more in the dark side, but sort of was looking across and. It was weird. I looked looked down at it and I went, holy shit, there's a story on that. It wasn't just – it was everything internally just came out and that's what art was to me in there then. It was everything that was inside that I didn't know how to speak about or I didn't know how to understand. I just put it on a paper and you know, I did I did a piece for – well, this is getting emotional, but I did a piece for you and I did a piece for mum as well, which I guess why I couldn't – couldn't verbalize how I was feeling internally or what I wanted. I could put it on a piece of paper. Um, and I drew mum a house of uh, when we were kids. You could see mum through the window, then me, and then all you could see is top of Stephen's head um, through the window because he's a bit shorter than us. But then outside there was a cricket bat and cricket stumps and cricket ball and, um, yeah, fence. And then I gave you one which had us at the park. Um, so this was later in time at hospital. I'd done a fair bit of work, but did a picture of what I saw the future like, and it was us at the park with two kids, and it just sort of was really good to put that on the paper to show you and Mum, like, despite I guess the dark shit that life seemed to be at the time, there was a lot of hope inside of me, and I knew it was there. I just had to do the work. So the art was like exceptional, and like since um, have gone out since I've been really slack with my art. Um, Mum bought me a Christmas present, but um, I think that kind of art with pastels and stuff is probably not me. And like, 
I'll still do bits and pieces like that along the way just to get stuff out. But, you know, recently um, caught up with Dane Beams and um, I'm looking at the picture now that I sort of did with him. Um, and that's the kind of art that I think will help me and probably you as well benef- be beneficial just to switch our minds off so we're going to invest in the art equipment and probably do one of these every three or four weeks just to sort of break up our mental sort of situations in our head and just release onto a, a blank canvas and see what we can come up with and sort of, you know, what we do with the pieces remains to be unseen. <laughs> but uh, it's not it's not about that. It's it's about the mental health side of things and, and helping. And it just showed me that there's so much out there to, that we can do. And as I said just before, it wasn't just the art. Like every day at 6 o'clock I'd go down for dinner and I'd be talking to like all the – amazing people i met in there you know i got made some really close friends in there you know there's probably a group of four or five of us that were sort of in one group but in saying that like i spoke to a lot of other people in there as well like i got to know probably 10 to 12 people really really well and like it gets me emotional now because i know how much pain some of them are still in and but i know how amazing they are as people and like if they're just given a go and some people believed in them in, in the, internally in their families and friendship circles, then maybe things would change. Not blaming their friends or family at all, like, but it's like without the support that I had and the belief that I had from people around me, I wouldn't have got where I got to. So, um, met some, yeah, unbelievable people. If they're listening, like, they'll know who they are. They, um, so yeah, we'd have dinner and then I'd go back and I'd watch Neighbours and Home and Away. <laughs> um, and then at 7.30, um, I'd make my way back down and this is something that really helped as well. I put my phone away. I only had my phone on me between 3 and 7.30 at night, most nights. Um, some nights I used the phone for music to get me to help me sleep and just switch off. But at 7.30 I'd go down and we'd either play, we'd do trivia, we'd play board games, uh, we'd play categories a few times, um, but we'd watch movies and we'd chat and... Trivia was really good for everyone else because they beat me because I'm no good at trivia. <laughs> but well, even that, like, you don't need to be good at the things that you're doing. But it's just like I'll never, I'll never actually say who this psychologist counselor was. But what what games do is they bring out a bit of silliness, mm-hmm. and we're playing categories, and it was things you find in the basement, and the letter was C, and she said children as a psychologist. <laughs> And we all lost it with laughter. And, like, it was so important that, that realised, like, she wasn't serious. Mm. It was, a, like, a game. And, like, we'd put we'd put stuff about ourselves in there. Like, we'd, we'd take the piss out of ourselves while we are in there a lot. Like, we'd talk about being in a loony house or, like, walking around like zombies. Or we were, we were very, very quick to, like, just take the piss out of the situation a little bit. And that just, I think it just allows you to... When you're lighthearted about something, it takes the seriousness out of it so you can just relax a little bit. And, yeah, like people will think they were giving a shit for being in there. Like we're giving ourselves more shit for being in there. Like we would bag the crap out of each other in there. Like we would be really honest but then take the piss out of each other. And it's just connecting back on that level. Like as a, as a what you do as a kid, you play games, you muck around, you joke around, you talk to people and... Some of the conversations at night were extremely serious about our situations and our lives and, and then other nights it would just be fun and as we got more comfortable with each other, um, 
you know, one of the guys in there would play his guitar and sing and so we'd just gravitate towards that. So most nights we'd try and get him out there to sing and um, play his guitar and then one of the other girls would sing with while he was playing guitar and like some of those memories like I'll never ever forget because it just showed me what's what people are capable of. And in, in those moments, in those periods of time, people just switched off to the world around them and it was... It was like it was. It was beautiful to see, and I'm not a big user of that word, as you know. <laughs> um, but it was. It was. It was beautiful, like seeing people just relax for once mm-hmm. and just take the mind off their shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was. It was the same people in the lounge room most nights, and yeah, like I keep in contact with uh, two of them pretty regularly. There's another three girls that um, I sort of will message every now and then. Uh, but there's a couple of others that I'd like to, would have loved to have kept in more contact with, but for whatever reason, name numbers weren't exchanged. And I gave everyone in there that they left a stubby holder for power strength and vulnerability. If you want stubby holders, please check out the <laughs> website, powerstrengthandvulnerability.com.au. Um, so, and I gave them all stubby holders to basically said, if you ever want to reach out to me, I'm more than happy to email boy by you and if they are listening to this I, I stick by that and i'm in a much better place now which we'll get into a little bit more but you know to those people out there struggling you know don't be afraid to reach out i'm more than happy to um chat with you so um just touching on when shane mentioned about the artwork that he did for me um it's two of my most pride possessions that he's given me um he mentioned the artwork that he did um, with us as a family. Um, and I suppose that was pretty, that was really nice to get that because, yeah, he was, he mentioned before that he struggled to verbalize how he felt, um, about me or about us, etc. And just getting that artwork, it really showed to me what he could see in the future with us. Um, and I remember when I got it that night, I actually, there were quite a few tears actually happened um, because it, it it meant so much to me receiving that artwork. And then there was another one he did, which was a Christmas artwork, which was a really nice oh. one as well. <laughs> like he can talk about how his art's not that great, but... Everyone thought the cat was a rat. <laughs> but, you know, I um, Shane's not a massive Christmas person um, and I am and... I was setting the Christmas tree up with mum and I sent her the pictures of the Christmas tree and how the actual house looked without him in it. And then he drew that all on a piece of paper and said, you know, you know, next year I'll get him more involved with it. I didn't uh, say that. <laughs> he did. But, <laughs> um, but it just showed me this is, that was his way of celebrating Christmas um, with me in a sense. And it was really nice because he included our three animals and just what our house looked like at that point in time. So those two pieces of artwork, um, yeah, do mean a whole lot to me and they'll mean more to me than him just spending hundreds of dollars on a present to me because it, it came from the heart from him and as well. I guess is I mean, let's not talk about us. I guess there's a key message for any listeners, like you don't need to, you don't have to verbalise everything. Like sometimes it's going to be very hard to do, um, especially growing up in an era where showing emotion is seen as like a negative thing. It can be very hard. Like I know now talking about it, I'm like I want to shut down because I feel like I'm going to cry, mm-hmm. whereas I'd rather write it or draw it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think letters are something that we, I don't know if you can talk about that, but. Like I start, I said to you, like 
going forward, some of the things that instead of talking, we might send each other letters mm-hmm. instead. And that was something I remember doing in primary school as well. And, you know, get you, that means a lot, especially these males out there. If you're struggling, write on a fucking mm-hmm. piece of paper. They'll, it'll warm them over a little bit. Um, <laughs> it really does. <laughs> yeah, it does. Like, they, they, females really do care about that. Like, yeah, there'll be the odd one that loves getting possessions and stuff like that. But um, most of them, they, they, Girls have feelings. So do guys. <laughs> but girls really do feel that kind of stuff. And I found, I know with a couple of pieces of artwork and a couple of letters, um, it's really like hit you properly. Even the negative mm-hmm. stuff, yeah, that's like hit you. That's like, whoa, okay, I can see how serious this is now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, like he did a letter with that artwork of us as a family and I read that so many times. Um, and I could feel my, my heart was beating out of its chest while I was reading it. Like there was tears, but there was, you know, my heart mm. was going hundred miles an hour as well. Um, but it really showed to me, yeah, as Shane was struggling to verbalize it, he still did verbalize it to me, but it was in a letter form mm. and, you know, I could see the picture. I could, I could see what was going on in his head and that was enough. Like we didn't need to talk about it. Like he had already spoken about it to me in letter format and picture format. So um yeah that was enough for me and yeah i I love letters it's Mm. (laughs) it does have a little bit of romance to it so yeah it was pretty special yeah hi let me ask another question yeah she's got it she did (laughs) she did her research she's got some questions she's scribbling them out too i am i am scribbling them out um what was one of the most challenging parts of being in the hospital oh there's probably two probably the first one was you know actually opening up yourself and being vulnerable knowing that there was someone on the other side who was going to basically bring you down a peg, but to, it was to bring you down a peg to bring you back up. It wasn't it wasn't to demoralise you. So that was extremely difficult to do. And as I said, it still is to, hard to open up, um, but it's so important to do it as well. Like by opening up and by being pushed to your break, your, to breaking point basically day in, day out, like you, you, you learn about yourself extraordinarily quickly. And people get found out. Probably the hardest, the the hardest thing, really was, it was the people that refused to believe that they could change. So there was people in there you could see rapidly getting worse and worse, and they, you know, they'd come into a group session and they'd complain, but they weren't doing anything about it. And and there was like people in there who were really trying to. They were doing the work day in, day out and weren't complaining. They were letting everyone know how they were feeling, but they were willing to sort of, everyone, I think most people were willing to sort of have someone go, no, you can't do that. You need to try this or no, I want to make sure you turn up to the session. So they'd go get them. Whereas there were some who just sat there and complained they couldn't change anything. Mm-hmm. And they were like, no, I am depression. I've had this forever. It's never going to change. But the scientific research shows that you can overcome everything like when it comes to depression anxiety and not overcome but you can at least work through i'm not gonna i'm not gonna try and degrade people or make them feel worse about themselves by saying that you have to overcome it but you can work through this stuff if you put in the time and the effort and you're willing to be vulnerable some people weren't willing yeah and that was so hard to see like i remember one person, I don't remember her name, um, but day after day it got worse and worse and because she just wanted more medication. And when I knew about 
we knew about her external life because she told us, um, which I won't talk about. That's not my place to say, but it was an easy solution, really easy to solution to what she was going through. It was, it was beyond ridiculous how easy it was, but there was, there was a, must have been a fear or a trauma from her childhood that wouldn't let her do it. It wouldn't let her make that decision. She refused to believe that. She thought that she just had all these depressive symptoms for no reason. It's like you actually have what was going on. She had a very good reason to feel like shit. She had, she, she had every right to be angry and hurt and frustrated. Like what she was going through, I would have been fuming. I wouldn't have let it stand. Like that's the thing. We're all different. And she she was scared of, of making that decision because of what it looked like. But it was so hard watching her day after day in, day out, get worse and worse and worse to the point where she didn't come to groups anymore. Um, the only time I saw her was when she wanted more medication. And that's where I kind of feel sorry for the nurses and doctors in there sometimes because they're, they're trying to help people, but they're probably spending more time with the people that don't want help or it's too hard. for. Like and it is, it's, it's too hard. They don't, they're scared to face what's really going on. Um, so, And I, I do get that, so I do respect it. Um, but uh, my message, I guess, is if you want to get out of the shit spot you're in, you have to do the work because that was so, it's so hard to watch. Cause you, you, and there's probably people out there listening that have had a friend or family member go through it. I mean, you partly went through it last year with me, like where the person doesn't actually do the work. He's banging your head against a brick wall. Like really, like it's you can keep trying to make them do stuff. And like I'm a person that wanted help. I remember one of my first sessions in there, I said to the psychologist, I said, I have to be really careful in here because I'm in here for me and my instinct and nature as a person is to help someone before I help myself. So I was very clear that I was always first and even someone would put my hand up because I'd be like, no, stuff you guys. Not in a mean way, but I need to put myself first for once. And, um, yeah, so that was really hard not to fall into that trap knowing that some people are in that much pain. They just were getting worse by the day. and um, It was hard leaving them behind because you, you do, you want to, you want to help, but at the same time, Jesus, it's so hard to, to watch. Mm-hmm. And I guess that would be like what it would be watching any family member or a friend slip down the hole of, of depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. And, you know, it was thankfully there's only a couple of people in there that were like that. Um, and they just have a longer history of trauma. Um, you know, and a perfect example of that is what, you know, one person in there who's very open about this is. Five psychologists had told her after two or three sessions that they weren't the right fit. So she felt like, what's the point of opening up to psychologists? They're going to throw me, ditch me. So she had this. Sorry about that. All right, so the dogs just had a little episode. Um, I'll hopefully get that edited out. So we'll start again. So what was I saying? Um, the psychologist, the girl girl had yeah so, so you can you can understand why there's trauma and trust issues with psychologists and mm-hmm. like why she so she couldn't she refused to basically without saying it to trust the psychologist in the group therapy sessions so she'd say something wanting them to answer and they'd answer and she'd be like no no and it's like she didn't want to let herself in again mm-hmm. so i and i so i completely get that like mm-hmm. if, if counselor or psychologist did that to me i'd be traumatized by it but at the same time not everyone's going to be like that and it's it's okay for people, psychologists, to say, I don't think I'm the right fit because someone else might be. The problem we have then is they've got to be able to 
pass them on to someone yeah. who might be in a better position to help them with whatever modality. And that's probably something I'll be working on in the future. So story for another day, that. <laughs> um, now, what were the days like leading up to your discharge? Talk about those those last few days and then your discharge. Do you remember? Yeah, vaguely do. Because I don't. I remember you were scared. You didn't know whether or not... Um, like you had to, you had the appoint you had the appointment with the psychiatrist, I think, and the doctor to make sure that you were okay to leave. But I remember that you had, you know, your last session with Ryan, basically saying, "Am I right? Am I ready to, to come out?" Yeah, I guess the, it was good. It was good that I came out when I did. Um, it was it was the right time. Um, as as much as you know, I've had sort of down periods since. It was the right time for me to sort of face that challenge, but. It was fear because I'd built up probably the probably close to the best routine I've ever had in my life in there. And, you know, in there, as much as you don't have to do it, there's more like if you don't do it, they're not going to help you. Mm-hmm. And you're reaching out because you want help. You don't want to be babysat anymore. Like if you're going there to babysat, you won't get help. Um, so I was, I was scared of what it looked like. I was scared of coming out and being judged um, by people. I was scared of you know change, so some so there was a big change in in there while I was at home while I was in there, and that like hit me for six as well, because um, I didn't want things to change on the outside. But what I learned along the way is that's not my responsibility, and that's not up to me. If people want to change and people want to do things a different way, then that's their right. So I, I was really scared of what what was to come, and you know. It, it was real life again, I guess, like you live in a bubble. Um, like I remember, I think it was one of the days it was like 45 and bushfire <laughs> smoke was real bad. And I I was in the hospital under a doona. I didn't feel the temperature at all that day. Like I just stayed in my room when I spoke to everyone. People I spoke to that day were like, oh, hottest day in 20 years. I'm like, oh, I've had a doona on the whole day. Like, um, so, yeah, it was, it was scary, like not knowing what was going to be like and I didn't want anyone to know I was getting out just for Christmas because I didn't want to have any expectations um, on me. I didn't want people to think they were going to see me when, you know, I could have woken up the next day and just felt like it was time to have a day to myself. And I spoke to a few people in the hospital who'd been in there multiple times and it wasn't because they'd relapsed necessarily. Some of them were doing different programs or different treatments or modalities of um, therapy and they also they all said the same thing make sure you look after yourself on the couple of days after it's it's not about your partner it's not about your parents it's not about your kids it's not about your friends it's about you because that week is really 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 tough um it brings up a lot of emotions and thoughts and um you can quickly find yourself back in there i guess needing help if you don't do that so i, I said to everyone that i allowed to know that I was coming out, I said, you know, I might not come to Christmas events and you just have to respect that. And if you don't, well, you're not the right person to be in my life at the moment. And um, thankfully, I, you know, overall, it was, it, was, it was pretty well respected. And, um, yeah, so the fear, the fear, I mean, the fear come for a reason. The body reacts to certain things for a purpose, to protect its protection. And uh, it's trying to protect me, but I sort of needed to get me big boy pants on and enter the <laughs> real world and... Um, yeah, it was, it was, the last couple of days was hard as well because you're leaving people in there knowing that they're going to be there Christmas day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, most of them would have had day leave, but that week 
after like I had a look at the schedule for that week of Christmas, and it was there was nothing on because mm-hmm. a lot of the psychologists and that have got families and going away and is exercise physiologists were both away for two weeks, so there's no exercise and it's a re- it really would have sucked mm-hmm. being there over that period. Like just would have been hard. So kind of the instinct to help people kicked in and I was like, maybe I should stay in to help other people. But at the same time, I was like, no, this is, that'll actually probably be more detrimental to my health. So, you know, left. But the last 24 hours is really strange because they shut down one ward over Christmas and New Year's because a lot of patients want to go home for Christmas. And so that's a lot of people's aims. There was probably 20 people that left in the three days prior to me. So you're saying goodbye to every person if you can. Um, so, yeah, it feels really strange doing that because you have – is this just a respect for each other for, you know, wanting help and, and being so vulnerable? Like some of the stuff you share in group therapy, you, you don't share with your partners and stuff like that because they're your deepest, darkest fears and shit that's going on. And once you get it out in that space and you work through it, you don't necessarily need to talk about it again. So you know more about these people than probably what their families would. So it's it's sad, like – seeing them go but it's also you're also very happy to see them go yeah. um there's such a mixed emotion about that i guess it's probably like your kids i'm guessing like your kids leaving home you're like you're so sad that they're leaving but well who like they're gone like you don't have to like wait after them um i guess they're their fiance's new problem they have to wait on them now ask my mum and alicia um so that was is extremely like diff- but yeah as i was saying the last 24 hours, I was the only one on the ward. My The lights in my hallway were off. So it was just me in this one room and everything else. It was like a fucking ghost town. <laughs> and I'd light the light, would look out and I'd see the lights at the other end. I'm like, oh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing. And so I'd go down to the other end and, um, yeah, it was it was bizarre that last 24 hours. But it was, it was yeah, good to – I was excited to leave. I felt ready on the day. So all the fears kind of – Fears kind of did evaporate on that last day. It was excitement. Um, probably a little bit of an annoyance that I didn't finish the puzzle in there that I had started. <laughs> like you were nowhere near finished. <laughs> it's a horrible puzzle. Oh, wow. Horrible puzzle. <laughs> wow. Um, well, I suppose like, yeah, you've discharged out of the hospital. How did actually, how did the next few days actually look like for you? Before I answer that, can I just speak about the hospital a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, um, you didn't know how much more you wanted to mention. Oh, I, I wanted to, I guess, publicly thank the nurses, the psychiatrist, and the psychologist that I had in there. Like, I kept a track of, and this is something like I'm prepared to be willingly open about and have discussions with with the powers that be. But they are so basically overworked. Um, and myself and one of the other patients, we're very, I guess, we're very articulate and understanding of where things can improve and. Both of us in our last week there gave a letter to the general manager of the hospital and basically informed them of where we think the hospital can improve. Because um, we watch, we watch, we take things in, we understand from a personal level, but we also understand the realistic nature of things. And the nurses in there do a f- amazing job. They, I know there's structures and stuff behind it, but I, I think there was just some small changes that could be made, and I, I put them. I voiced my opinion on that, and it's actually incredible. Like I, I left the letter with her, and I had a nurse come up to me about 45 minutes later saying she's read it, she wants to sit down and have a chat with you, and I was like, hang on a minute, like this person wants to actually engage with me. Like I'm a mental health person. I'm in mental health clinic. I was. She sat down and we spoke about you know what 
things can be improved and she took it seriously she's like we want to improve this for everyone like the nurses the people have been like anyone that says i hate it when people bag nurses or the doctors or psychologists because you just might not get along with certain individuals yes there's going to be bitches and assholes and jerks and whatever you want to say out there but there isn't every field mm-hmm. they can't just go cut them off at nursing and you, we've got to realize that they put up with so much shit like I guess when you're dealing with mental health and depression, psychosis, you know, I remember one day there was a guy in the hallway and he was battling through one of his psychosis episodes and I remember this and there. I listened for 40 minutes. Now, I didn't want to go out there because it wasn't my place. It felt like I've got to go out and help her. Um, don't remember her name. I think I've got her written down. But that nurse spent 30 minutes probably basically calming him down but repeating herself because he, he kept always falling back into that same thing. Now, he's obviously got PTSD of some sort because of the stuff he was saying. The way she handled it, oh, oh my God. Like, just wanted to run out and give her a hug and just say that was freaking amazing. I actually never saw that nurse again. She basically never w- rarely worked. Um, But that nurse is in there. Like, they genuinely do care. Anyone that thinks they don't needs to really take a step back and see what they have to do. Like... Every changeover, they need to go through every patient in detail because there's nothing worse than another mm-hmm. nurse coming in and asking you the same questions but not knowing anything. So you think you're like eight-hour shift or a nine-hour shift, you have three nurses a day. So they spend an hour basically going over each patient during handover. So it's, it was like one patient to uh, – sorry, one nurse to four or six patients. No, maybe more, maybe eight, probably eight, eight to ten actually. Which I think is just... That's a lot. I, you think about eight people with mental health problems that have unloaded on a morning because they're all six have had nightmares and two of them woken up wanting to kill themselves and all of that. And then they've got to pass all that information on to the next nurse plus whatever else has happened in that six hours, which could have been uh, whatever... I don't Some want to, sort of breakdowns. Yeah, breakdowns, I guess, yep. that happen in there or yep. relapses or yep. whatever. Then they're engaging with a psychologist and a psychiatrist and they need to then do medic be in the medication cabinet then they need to deal with the patient that oh someone someone wanted to come into the hospital to visit someone but that person had said they don't want visitors that person tried to smash the door and it caused a massive crash so then nurses have got to shut down the wards and they've got to lock it in and they've got to explain to the patients they want to go for a walk their daily walk that they can't go for a walk because there's broken window and the doors are broken so they've got so much going on and they still give you as much time as they can. Like it was great when the student nurses were in there because they could give you more time and the student nurses were incredible. Like they they had more time and they would in essence like sit there for 40 minutes and chat with you and like that was just, you know, as a patient, that just brings you so much reality and normal normalness. You don't think you're weird and crazy because they just sit there and they talk with you and they're interested to know not because it's their job. They're actually, like, curious yep. and they want to understand it. And it's like for, for such something is so complex as mental health and the brain, like, it takes it, – you never stop learning. So it's really good when they ask you questions. And, yeah, like, they asked – they were so curious about what I was doing outside of the hospital and what I did, you know, what was my job, what was I working on, all that kind of stuff. So that made me feel so much better and – Psychologists and social workers, you know, I think I had about 10 or 11 and I wrote, I wrote them a letter, I wrote the nurses a letter, I wrote basically everyone a letter when I left and basically thanked them because it can be a, such a taskless job. They don't know 
and a patient walks out, what will happen? Mm-hmm. They don't know whether this person will relapse and never actually get help and hate their life or end up homeless or or whether they will succeed. So it was very important for me to let them know that what they did had a huge impact on me and the people around them and people around me and the other patients as well. So at the Victoria Clinic, like I, I can't say a bad word about any of the nurses or psychologists in my opinion. I know there was people in there that would disagree with some of them and that's that's completely fine to have those opinions. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the way it works. Um, we just need to be really understanding in terms of to say some people might not work with some people and that's life, but we can't shouldn't go around bagging them because of it. So it was those kind of things, but I tried to steer clear of that as much as I can but took in enough so I could learn from all of that so yeah good um so back to that question how were how was that like next few days i suppose like as you came out of hospital like was it what you expected um were there issues that you had to deal with or we talking about the remote <laughs> <laughs> we can you can talk about the remote That's, uh, it's up to you Oh, I'll throw mum, I'll throw mum under the bus. Mum told, mum told dad's side of the family or one of them that I was out for Christmas and the day before I got out, I had all the messages. I hope you come down for Christmas. So that put a lot of stress on me, which, cause I didn't want to see anyone. I just wanted to be by myself, basically. But that's, like, it is what it is. Like, I had to find a way to then deal with it myself. And I did. I said, you know, I wasn't, I said to them, I wasn't ready to do big family things and, to talk about what I what I'd been through and um, you know hopefully they understand that well to be honest if they don't that's not my problem um, then uh, that so Boxing Day was that when we had the fight yeah Boxing Day yep it was yep so yeah Boxing Day Alicia and I had a pretty big fight and I I guess I had a big angry burst I threw a remote um, which left a hole in the wall um, and I ran ran away and I was probably saying that almost needed to happen pretty quickly after because I think it just what I'd just been through 28 days um, probably needed to crack a little bit when we first got out. And I know you tried to, you, you were doing your best, but I just needed space. And uh, it, was, it was a little thing which turned into a big thing uh, quite quickly. But we both learned that um, when small things happen to like, we worked out better strategies from that to move forward. So instead of, yes, like doing what I did wasn't ideal, but it didn't hurt anyone. It never was going to hurt anyone. Um, will hurt my back pocket when I had to pay <laughs> to get the plaster fixed. But, um, yeah, so there was a bit of fear that day that I'm going to have to go back into hospital um, because I'm not fixed. I hate that word. It's, I'm not I'm not managing. Um, but from there, it was actually great for a long, long time. Like we went to Yambar. So I did, I did go out for Christmas Day to your family and uh, mum's mum. I uh, saw that little bit of the family, but it was so low key. Like there wasn't more than like eight people there, no kids really running around. So that was really like as much as I love kids, everyone knows I love kids. It was just I needed it to be quiet and like I wasn't being trapped, which is my own uh, head playing tricks on me. It's not anyone else trapping me. Um, and I just didn't want to have too many conversations. Like I'd been talking and listening to people for 28 days nonstop. Like that wasn't what I wanted to do when I came out. So, and then, yeah, we, we packed up and we, uh, I left my phone at home and we went away for two and a half weeks. Yeah, it was about two weeks or so, yeah. We went to Yamba, Byron Bay, and then back to Yamba for two weeks and I didn't, I left my phone at home and 
That was a huge, huge thing for me. Um, I did check the cricket scores on Alicia's phone, <laughs> and I keep up to date with uh, you know, Facebook and Instagram. On the laptop, probably half an hour most days, I'd sort of check it or jump on Lisa's phone and just say, I just want to check my messages. If we weren't doing anything, like it wasn't, if we were doing stuff, it wasn't, and I only check credit scores. Um, or I needed to message the people we're up there with. I'm like, I need to message them, I need your phone. Um, but it was like, it was incredible. Like, I stopped reaching for my pocket. Um, I started sleeping better, like going to sleep earlier. Um, yeah, you just, you just lose a lot of care about what's happening and, funny thing is I got back to Melbourne and had like three messages. <laughs> um, so you don't you don't necessarily miss a lot anyway. Um, thankfully, you know, like like you had your phone and you were contactable and stuff like that. But for me, that was it was a challenge I wanted to set myself to to go without social media as much as I could and go without my phone and just live. Mm-hmm. Um, go to the beach and get burnt and then cry for two days because I'm so burnt. <laughs> Um, play basketball, then my back goes. So complain about my back going for a week and a half. Um, so I just wanted to live. Um, but yeah, like I did, I, I lived, mm-hmm. and I we bought, we rode bikes in Byron Bay. We went to the beach in Yamba. We went and saw where the, like where the fires were, just close to Yamba. We New Year's Eve, you know, I wasn't on my phone videoing. I actually took in the fireworks, and unfortunately, I uh, was sick. Not. <laughs> drunk sick i was actually the opposite of drunk sick um so we had to go to bed pretty quickly after that but yeah we did lots of things that was it's just living mm. and uh you know i was a month when we got back i was a month out from organizing a charity career game but for the whole two weeks i was away i did none of it and it was amazing how you can still pull things together you don't need to be working every day like and i came back so refreshed um despite you know what what we'd seen on the way up there and what we'd seen on the way back with the fires like that had ripped through through november through sydney and new south wales and then on the way back you know a 17 16 or 17 hour drive back from yamba it's meant to take took us 20 hours um and that probably sounds worse but the fact is we just didn't stop Mm -hmm. we just kept going um because we're so worried that we're gonna get caught in the fires um or have to drive eight to ten hours around them and thankfully we we were lucky we got through and then two hours later i checked my phone and where we'd basically the whole way we'd driven had basically been inundated with fires so we're pretty lucky because we actually left about 12 hours earlier than what we were going to so that two to three weeks was i just lived and i said during the hospital visit that one of the things i'll do going forward is go away for a week and not take my phone or laptop and just go into nature um find a find a house bear 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 whatever it might be just out on my own little spot, country, beach, wherever it might be, not have anything like that. Like I'll take up some art, some journaling, some pictures, puzzles, and just do that by myself, like not even with you. And people go, ooh, and it's like, no, we've already spoken about it. <laughs> she doesn't like it, but it, it is so important for me to do. Um, and I learned that I can do it. And um, it's COVID passes. I will go. Um, as soon as... As soon as I can, I'll, I'll be taking off for a week. Um, hopefully in probably two or three months, we'll be allowed to sort of hire a house for a week and, uh, yeah, I'll get out and write and blog and just re- reflect, I guess, on what I'm building at the moment and wherever that goes in the, in the meantime. So that's, that's kind of what that period of time looks like after the, 
stay and kept in contact with a few people. Mm. It was pretty impressive. Like, I have to be honest, I didn't know if Shane was going to be able to, you know, live without his phone. Um, like he said to me that um, he was going to leave his phone at home. Um, and I'm like, okay. Then you probably wouldn't have believed me until we were <laughs> half an hour left from home. 100%. I, I will be honest about that because, you know, I just didn't know whether or not he was going to be able to do it. Mm. Um, and Well, I was, I was addicted to it. Yeah, he was. And at times in the past, he said he's going to do things and he hasn't. Mm. So, you know, I was I actually couldn't believe it that his phone was actually left in the room or where it was in the house. Um, and it was great. Like, we had an awesome two weeks away. Um, and, yeah, you, it's amazing how you don't need your phone. No, you don't. Like so many people will tell me, oh, but what if this happens? Well, people get, get in contact. Fuck, they'll find a way. Yeah. Like, yeah. someone will have a phone. Like, call it, they can call up the place you're staying at. Like, there is ways around it. We just we idiots. Yeah. Basically, and um, yeah, like, I mean, in saying that, like with COVID nineteen and having the app on the phone, it's it's you should be taking your phone everywhere now, and so that might be the case that you know I will take my phone, but I'll put it on airplane mode the whole time I'm, I'm in the house, and um, you know, it might even set my accountability. So I have to show you that at the end of the seven days, there's only twenty minutes being mm-hmm. used on the phone a day, and that might be something that I set up going forward um, because it would be irresponsible to not take your phone with the current circumstances. Mm. So but like you said, there's always a positive to every negative. Like so yeah, the positive the negative is I actually have to take my phone, but the positive is, is that's a challenge in itself that um I need to stay off it. Mm-hmm. Why it's why it's there, why it's around me. Um so like the thing is I could I would say I'd lock it up in a safe or something, but knowing me, I'll leave it there. So <laughs> Yeah. Um, there's the dogs again. Uh, so, yeah, you've got a couple more questions. I do. Um, since being out of hospital, have you been able to keep up with some things that you wanted to do out of hospital, like some of the um, therapy sessions that you did? Um, you mentioned that you haven't been able to do as much art. You haven't touched the art since your mum, <laughs> that your mum got you. That's still in the spare bedroom. But, I have, yeah, have there been some things that you've continued with? Yeah, so I probably haven't. I haven't stayed consistent. Oh, when I say consistent, I've been consistent with certain things, but I'll go back to certain things when I feel like I'm slipping. So something I did in there every day was journal. Uh, whereas in probably the past five months since I've been out, I've probably journaled on and off, but probably done probably th- probably 80 days, 90 days, maybe 100 days of proper journaling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I use that when I think I need to get stuff out. Uh when I need to, like, there was always a fear of journaling of, of someone else reading it, mm-hmm. and it, it, when when that fear evaporated, that you wouldn't read it. Basically, yeah. I knew I could just put whatever I wanted to paper. Um, so, I even yesterday I bought a new journal book to use at the new office. So I've got a new office now, so I, I'll leave it there. And every day that I'm there, because it's what I'm working on is so going to test me mentally. It's going to test. I'm going to see a lot of people that are going through stuff, so I'm going to need to. Journal. So I thought having it there, I mean, it's put on the chalkboard there to journal every day, breath work every day for 10 minutes and do my core exercise every day. So to do like an exercise type thing. So because they're obviously three things that are important. And so with the question, you know, is I'm doing breath work, like which I'd, I'd never heard of before. Mm. 
Um, I remember the first. Oh, you can. You don't need, I won't need to go into this because if you want to go into what Breathwork did to me, I, I recorded the podcast with Shabon McLeod. So go back and check that out. But that's something that I now do as well. I do breathwork. Um, did a ten minute breathwork yesterday, and it just enabled me to clear my mind. I did an hour one with Shabon a couple of weeks ago, then recorded the podcast and gave me all these great ideas. And since then, what four weeks ago, like. I basically set up a whole business, um, which is going absolutely bonkers and um, can't wait for it to come out. But, <laughs> um, yeah, like I, the aim will, you know, to be to do breath work 10 minutes a day when I go into work. So it might not, and it might not be every day I'm doing it, but every day I go in there and then if I need to do, you know, a full hour one, I'll book in um, and get that done with Siobhan and um, do that. So, yeah, keeping up with that sort of as much as I can. Exercise has been hit and missed purely because of a back that just keeps wanting to play up every time I start training intensely again. Um, so I'm just doing my stretches every day, um, which is so super important to try and keep that. Uh, what else am I doing? Come on. Um, what else are you doing? Well, it's probably probably it's not even it's got sort of relevant to the question, but. Not stuff I did in hospital, but stuff I wasn't doing before. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't food prepping, I wasn't doing dishes, I wasn't cleaning, I mm-hmm. wasn't, I wasn't doing anything. No, nah, like yeah, you weren't showering. Like you bake, you shower basically every day now. Yeah, I do. I shower but, every day. Yeah, that's um, the thing you do. Brushing my teeth, still pretty hopeless with. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I cook food more often. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not. Nowhere near where I would like to be um, with that side of things, but like that's definitely improved. Like um, the sweet potato fries are ready for me after this. <laughs> um, nearly left them in there to burn. Um, and I mean, getting out of bed. Yeah, <laughs> I'm getting out of bed in the morning. Like, yep, probably feel really shit in the morning sometimes, but getting out as as quick as I can. Some mornings I'll wake up and go, no, nah, I just need to stay in there for a little bit longer. Just having a good night's sleep, nightmares, whatever. Um, but yeah, I can get up earlier now. Like last year it was like 1 p.m. Now it's like I can get up at 6.37, um, get myself to work the last couple of days and get a lot done. So like last year I wasn't getting anything done. Mm-hmm. This year is just growing from strength to strength. Like since I, especially since I've found exactly what I want to do and what I want to build and stuff, it, it's sort of nothing sort of stopping me. So it's not necessarily what I did in the hospital. It's sort of what I wasn't doing before that I'm doing now, which yep. is probably taking over the some of the stuff that I did in the hospital. Yeah. Um, one thing I bring up is um, your communication has improved heaps. Like, you know, there was the other day, I can't remember which day it was now, it was last week at some stage, um, I was waking Shane up to go for a run and he just said, no, nah, I can't, I've had a nightmare. And so it was just open and just said, I've had a nightmare, I just need space. And I gave him space for the whole the whole day. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I even really talked to him. Um, so I think your communication between, like, how you're feeling um, has improved. Um, yeah, and that I guess that comes from I was so scared that I was letting you down all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that then causes more of a ripple effect to you don't want to let them down so you don't tell them the truth and you don't want to let them down so you don't tell them the truth. It just makes things shit. Yeah. So it's, I've had to sort of tell you that you have to just accept sometimes that this is the way it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, sometimes you aren't happy with the res- what I sort of respond with or whatever. But if I don't, then we're both going to be shitty. So, um, yes, yeah, communicating the best way I can sometimes. That is letter form. Sometimes it's, it's a message. Like I'll mm-hmm. 
sometimes leave the house and have to message you because mm-hmm. I just can't can't verbalize it. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it has it's it's got a lot better and it's getting back to where I want it to be and yeah. breaking sort of those barriers. And they're not communication for me isn't always because I'm scared of letting them down. It's scared of that they'll react in a way which will cause conflict because I, I don't like, I genuinely don't like conflict as much as people might think I like it. I, I absolutely hate it and I, I'll sit on conflict for days whereas some others won't mm-hmm. um, and that's why I shut myself down before conflict happens and that's something that we obviously work on, we're still working on and because um, it's not it's not healthy just to shut down completely. Um, so, yeah, my communication is is a little bit better in terms of how I'm feeling and what I need and what is best for me at that time. And it, it's not just because I can communicate, it's because I actually understand what's why and what's happening um, so I can treat it with respect. And- yeah. So I suppose like when you mentioned that there's some things that you're not doing consistently, but at least you now know what things might help you. Like you learned strategies in the hospital of what's going to help you in certain situations now. And so you've got some go-to. It's like you said, now you need to do some journaling because there's, going to be a lot taken on for you yeah and it's not just those as well like even thinking about like i've started listening to podcasts flat mm-hmm. out so but i'm really some oh, pat myself on the back here i think i'm really smart with it whereas because i'm trying to learn a lot about mental health so i'm listening to a lot of mental health podcasts but at the same time if i drill myself with that i'm going to get so overwhelmed and so i guess in that headspace that i'll probably end up being down or comparing myself so I find it really important to listen to comedy podcasts in between as well. Um, so, like reading books, I'm starting to get back into as well. So, it's really important that I like watch comedy or break that up um, just so that I don't fall into a massive hole again. And hear my jokes as well. That breaks it up too. Um, next question. <laughs> um, I suppose, I don't know if there's anything more else you were going to say, but I my, one of my last questions is, was it everything you expected? Uh, nah, because you're going with that expectation of what you see in movies or a TV show that people are walking around in straight jackets <laughs> and like zombies and stuff like that. And now there is, you know, at 9.30 I'd message you or call you because I was a zombie because the medication had hit me. <laughs> so I found that I found the sleeping medication I had. Um, yeah, I'd have it at 8 o'clock and then go hang out with the others and then, yeah, I'd I'd stand up and I'd nearly fall over because my body had basically gone to sleep on me. Um, I got the munchies a little bit with them, so I was eating. <laughs> I was eating at night, nine thirty. I was eating all the um, other people's food. Like I was allowed to eat it. I was eating. One girl had gingerbread house brought into her, so I was eating that. I was eating all the icing. Um, so she knew that was when I was going to bed because I'd grab a handful of icing <laughs> and I wouldn't walk, be able to walk straight. But um, so there is that. There is a little bit of an element to that, and. and I must say, I mean, I was in a private hospital, so it's a lot different to a public, the public system. So I can't comment on the public system. All I know is that the people that had been in both that I spoke to said private was much better. So it's it's well worth getting private health insurance and walking out because, I mean, it cost us a little bit of money, but without private health, it, you're looking at a deposit on a house. Mm-hmm. So yeah. just get private health realistically like, and, and make sure that you've got the mental health side of things in there. Um, because it's not just for people that are suicidal. Like it can be, there's people in there just getting medication changed or people doing um, like EMDR treatment, which is eye movement treatment, um, you know, brain, brain kind of treatment. Um, and so they just stay in there, like they're staying there for the three weeks or whatever. So 
um, it's it's worth it. Like to, otherwise, you're paying for a shitload, um, which would would be well worth the investment. Don't get me wrong, but you'd rather save the money and mm-hmm. do that. So, yeah. I don't have any more questions for you. Yeah. Well, I'll, I guess I'll just finally <laughs> ask you want to say? How, how have you felt since, I guess, the new Shane has come out. Like, what's it been like for you? You know, I, I put in the work mm-hmm. and I come out a different person. Mm-hmm. How's that been for you? Because I think it's really important, like, for, fem- for if anyone in relationships listening to this, you understand that when one puts in the work, it can benefit the whole relationship. Um, I hope it has. <laughs> yeah, Shane's just all of a sudden speaking on my behalf here. Um, now, oh, to be honest, the, you know, when you were being discharged, um, you know, I was excited for you to come out, but I was also scared. I was, you know, I didn't know what that week was going to be like. Um, but yeah, it, 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 you know, apart from that incident on Boxing Day. Um, the, you know, thoughts running my, through my head going, oh, my God, you know, are we back here again? Um, you know, it, w- it was pretty good over that period of time. Um, so I suppose since you've been out, how long has it been? What, five? Nearly five months. Nearly five months. Five days away from five um, months. Yeah, you are, I don't, I really feel like I'm walking on eggshells now in the house. Like there's still a couple of times, but not to the extreme that it was before he went into hospital. Um, I feel like now I can have conversations with him um, where like, prior to him going into hospital, um, I suppose I was, oh, should I have this conversation with him or not? Um, but I suppose, yeah, we already mentioned sometimes what are the better ways to communicate with each other. So, um, yeah, I feel like now it's it's back to, well, it's, it's fun and, you know, we give each other space and we, we can read each other. A lot better at times as well. Um, I don't know what else more to say. It's yeah, it's it is you know so worth him going into the hospital because he is literally a different person now. Um, he's got so much more motivation. Yes, he'll have days that he doesn't have that motivation. He's just he needs a day to himself. But you know, last year he was you know he would be in bed for days on ends, mm-hmm. weeks um, with no motivation. So if he has one day in bed, it's kind of like well you know. That's nothing. Like, yeah. It, you know, look at what he was doing. Um, so he's improved out of sight and the work that he has put in um, has, yeah, definitely changed and helped him immensely, which in essence has helped us as a relationship. And, yeah, we are still together. And, um, yeah, so. Ask me if, what my advice is. Oh, yeah. Oh, so that was on. So people now know. <laughs> So, <laughs> so I, I was just meant to turn the microphone off um, <laughs> and tell her to ask me one more question, but now you know what the question is. What's your advice to all the listeners out there, please, Shane? <laughs> um, so my advice is if you think you need help, ask for it and just be open and vulnerable to, yes, options. You have to realise that you have to put in the work and that someone else can't do it for you. A can guide you, they can impart knowledge in you. But if you don't take that and put it into action, it's useless. You're wasting everyone's time. So if you do want to change, you have to do the work. So ask for help, but do the work. Like someone, you know, you don't want a babysitter. Like that's going to make things worse. So 
ask for help and implement the stuff that someone might give to you and be consistent with it. One of the things that I have so often is someone comes and asks me for help and I tell them multiple ideas and then they'll come back to me weeks later and I'll be like, did you do these things? And they're like, no. And I'm like, why are you asking me for more help? It's so frustrating. If you're going to ask for help, respect the person enough to actually try it. If you don't try it, you clearly don't actually want help. So actually, if you say, like so many people are like, oh, respect what you do, respect what you say. You only respect what someone says or does if you actually impart what they say and say that. And us people throw the word inspiration around so fucking often and so too often. Inspiration to me is someone that actually gets you off your ass. So you say someone's inspiring to you, but you don't change. How are they inspiring? Inspiring you to do what? Nothing. So take action yourselves and start working towards it. And, you know, if you do want to know more about like a mental health clinic, like send me an email, like I'm having to answer any questions. You know, people have asked me since, should I go in? I haven't told anyone that they should go in yet. I've told them to work on some other things first. Um, I could have potentially done that as well. Um, but the way it worked out for me is I didn't. So, yeah, make sure that you look after yourself and, you know, understand that once when you look out for yourself, it's better for everyone else around you, as you can attest to. Like so many people, oh, I can't do it, I don't have the time. Well, or I've got to do this to someone else. Well, you're not giving the best to them. So please reach out and help them. Thank you for joining me on my podcast today, oh, <laughs> Shane. You don't know the podcast. <laughs> um, what I do want to put out there to the listeners, if you've uh, stuck us out for this episode, is if you would like us to sort of do this regularly, talk about mental health in a relationship, um, we could probably do something once a month, but we'll only do it if the people out there want to we get five people that say, yes, they want us to talk about our lives a little bit more. We'll, we'll do a monthly podcast on mental health and the relationship and we'll let you know how we go and the fights and the all the little shit in between because uh, there's plenty more in the last five months that has happened and, um, you know, we can talk about some of those things along the way and um, hopefully help people. I mean, we're not perfect and we don't pretend <laughs> to be, but I think anyone that tries to be perfect has probably got more issues than we do. Um, so we'll just share it to reduce the stigma around mental illness in a relationship and what we're planning, what we're working on, and uh, we'll go from there. So before I do leave, um, my new website is uh, updated and we have clothing on there. So I'm working on something really big behind the scenes and all the merch that gets purchased really, really helps build that. Uh, it stops me from doing Uber Eats as often, which I'm now doing to make ends meet. Um, but it'll allow me to put all of my time into some big things that I have planned. So make sure you check the website out and the blogs and stuff like that because something will be up soon and we are working on something extraordinarily big, which I've had people in suicide prevention organisations say that it's much needed. So I'll be uh, putting all my time and energy hopefully into that with pending on sale of merchandise and donations and stuff like that. So Thank you for listening to everything. Make sure you subscribe, tell your friends, hit like, share, do whatever you can to spread the message. That was me talking about my time in the mental health clinic in the loony bin. <laughs> um, you know, and to those people that I met in there, I love you all and I really hope you're doing well. And if you do need to reach out, send me a message. Um, love to catch up with you. We can sit down and we can talk about my plans and see if you can help out and see if you've got any ideas of your own because you are the people who know what's needed, seen it from both sides and uh, 
Yeah. For all those out there, speak up, speak out. Thanks for listening to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. If anything in this podcast has brought up difficult feelings, please call Lifeline on 13 1144. For any further information, or if you want to bring your story to life, contact Shane at shane at vitalityfit.com.au. That's V I T A L I T Y F I T T.com.au.